Colin's Last Stand Knockback is brought to you by, well, you. Knockback, in addition to the interview podcast series Fireside Chats and the weekly YouTube show dedicated to video games called SideQuest, is fan-funded over at patreon.com slash Stand. and without you, none of these shows would exist. If you like Knockback or any of what Colin's Last Stand does, please consider going to Patreon and showing your support. You can even get cool perks in return, like early access to shows, the ability to vote on future show topics, exclusive Q&As, and much more. Thank you for believing in Colin's Last Stand. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty, as always, joined by my brother, the illustrious Dagan Moriarty. Shush. Oh, you better. <laughs> Shush. It's good to see you. Good to see you, I just, my friend. I mean, I've been seeing you for two days, so it's not like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you know, but it is good be, to see. Yeah, you. but it, is, it does me good yeah. to see you, and we'll talk about yeah. that movie for sure. <laughs> yes, we will. Which for some reason I've not even put on my really on my list. I gotta, yeah, oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta rectify. What the hell am I thinking? I don't know. I guess I didn't really think about it as a war movie, but that's <laughs> it upsetting. Certain, it certainly is. It is upsetting. <laughs> um, speaking of all of that, this particular topic for uh, or this episode of Knockback is going to be about war movies. And originally, Dagan, I wanted to posit it as yeah. The best war movies, and I'm sure we're going to get into that, are our favorite war movies. I don't know yeah. that we can really say our what favorites. the best are. I think sure. maybe with like Saving Private Ryan and stuff, you can say like these are the best. But And of course, Red Dawn, which we're going to get into. But I want to really talk more about what our favorite war movies are, but also why these movies resonate with us. Yeah. This is not unusual in the sense that for many hundreds, thousands of years, uh, lore about warfare, tales of war, novels... Uh, stories handed down from generation to generation about conflict. These are common things to celebrate, common things to remember, common things to fear. So I don't want to necessarily get into the whole, you know, nitty gritty psychology of it, but I think a great place for me to start and for you to start and what I want to ask you right off the bat is generally speaking, because we're going to get into specifics and why specific movies resonate with us or what we love about these specific movies, but why generally do you think that we gravitate towards these kinds of movies and why specific war movies like Braveheart or Saving Private Ryan, yeah. whatever, uh, Black Hawk Down are considered some of the greatest films, especially the first two, some of the greatest films ever made. So what is it for you that draws you in to watching a movie about the worst kinds of conflict, death, carnage, yeah. loss, yeah. disaster, horror, yeah. gore? Really? These are terrible movies about terrible oh, things, right? Guess, what absolutely. is it? What is it about it? So I think... It's a great it's a great question and I think really inherently my first really response to that that I feel is that you know we grew up I grew up in the especially I grew up in the 80s the height of you know the height of like the war movie especially the Vietnam war movies and you know war I think inherently as a short answer war is just a horrific thing you know and a lot of movies especially those Vietnam movies I, that we I grew up with were really there were they were presented as horrible. And I think you imagine, you, for me at least, I could say, I, you kind of imagine yourself in that role or one of those roles in the movie and how what would you do and how would you react? I think for me, that's, that's really what it is. I think inherently you're, you already have a captivated audience because you're presenting the, one of the most dramatic things that a human being can experience and have many, many thousands of millions have experienced. And it's horrific and it's almost unimaginable. And in many cases, a lot of this stuff really did happen, depending on how accurate 
you know the movie is or how stylized versus how stylized it is or whatever so i think that's really the answer is kind of imagining yourself in that role and imagining yourself dealing with those situations and those you know horrors quite honestly sure sure i i agree with you i think that there's always going to be something romantic about it even for the worst and most violent movies that that there's something, you know, the show is deeply, you know, our show, Knockback, is deeply embedded in nostalgia. And there is a certain nostalgic element, even for those that served, people we know who have served, and people I certainly know that served even in Iraq and Afghanistan, and nostalgia for not what they did in those terrible moments or had to do to survive or to kill the enemy or to, 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 to win in the moment, but also the, the camaraderie, the brotherhood. The memories that lasted sometimes years for these people, they're, yeah. they're often isolated. I've known people that, you know, were in Afghanistan or Iraq. They're, they have no one else but themselves. Each other. And uh, yes. And so there is this sort of element, this this nostalgic nationalist brotherhood element of, uh, I don't want to say nationalist because that's almost got bad turn and bad, bad uh, stigma attached to it, obviously. But you know, nationalistic is more likely like a flag waving sort of thing. And what's fascinating to me, too, is that a lot of the movies that we're drawn to, war movies, at least the war movies, I don't want to assume with you, but the war movies that I've been drawn to are war movies that we are losing in or that the good guys, so we're not talking about Americans anymore, end up losing. Okay. But but their spirit lives on. Braveheart, a great example of that. There you go. So, yes, I think that these are, there's there's something psychologically embedded in us to be drawn to the conflict, like you said, that we are vicariously experiencing through storytelling. And vicariously usually means something positive, right? Like, but not always, you know, no. and just like we, we, ter- we throw in the term nostalgia and nostalgic positively, but the word nostalgia in Latin is a super negative word. Well, in, 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 re- in real regards, nostalgia means painful memory, right? So it's, and, and with the word nostalgia, you can kind of relate to that. Yeah. It's a bittersweet thing right so being nostalgic for a conflict is not necessarily a positive thing and, and it's kind of like a misnomer in a way but i think we'll get through by by identifying that word and kind of defining it right now yeah absolutely that's smart so what was your exposure to these kinds of films because for me growing up in the vhs era yeah and you growing up in the vhs era but actually even before that i don't know I'm, I'm always so not confused but so interested in this idea that you couldn't really watch movies at home that like you had to go to a cinema to see things, and once you saw it, it was over basically. Like there was no chance of you getting a VOD of it or something. Right. When were you introduced to these kinds of films? Because I was kind of kept away from them until I was uh, until I was of a certain age, but actually somewhat young because I was so interested in history. Yeah, I think I was young too. I think I was definitely young. I definitely want to do a show based on. I definitely want to do a show. I don't know if I've talked to you about this yet, but I want to do a show with the topic of movies that we watched too when we were too young. The movies we were too young to watch, but That's watched, a great them, idea. Any, but watched them anyway. I'd I have interesting answers to that. Yeah, me too. I, I can't wait to talk about this. I think it'll be a fun show, but I keep forgetting to bring that up to you. But I think, well, two things. I was born in 1973, so I, even going into the 80s, there was still the Cold War and you know our you know everything that was sort of our precarious relationship um, and t- tension with Russia. And there was a rash of Vietnam movies by oftentimes brilliant film directors that want to make a comment on, on these films. So it's for me, it started with movies like the first war movie that I probably saw 
I'm trying to think back so I'm accurate about this, but the first war movie that was actually a fictional account but felt real, at least to my young eyes, was Red Dawn. Yes, perfect. So that was the first movie that I saw, and that's probably the first movie I saw with violence towards children as well. So inherently, that was already like a very... That already really resounded with me and and actually was really, really resonated because it was it was a band of kids fighting a fictional enemy, but it felt in the obviously the whole thing's fiction, but it feels it's presented and feels really real. It feels it felt like it could happen. The way it was presented felt very realistic. There's high school kids, they're of varying ages, of varying, you know, who's a jock who's a brain, whatever, in set where it's set in, in America at that time. And this enemy is attacking and they basically like rally the, their resources and try to fight it. You know what I mean? And it just the way it was presented felt very realistic. So that was like my first, even though as a kid, as a seven-year-old or however I was when that came out, if I knew it was not real, but it felt it felt real. And then I think from there was all the Vietnam movies that we know. Platoon was maybe one of my first. You know, all the usual ones. Um, I didn't see Apocalypse Now until later. I didn't see Apocalypse Now probably until the 90s um, when I started to become in- more interested in film. You know that that's like one of those must see like any film auteur any any film buff is gonna want to go enjoy that that movie and check it out and see what all the buzz is about. But I would say Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, and also one that's not discussed very often, but is actually an excellent movie: Casualties of War, a Brian De Palma film. I don't know that I've Michael J. Fox, which actually Grandpa. Our grandpa took me to see that in the movie theater. When I was young, I was probably 13, 12 or 13 when that came out. So, yeah, it was it was it was Red Dawn and then the Vietnam movies for me, which are all present war in a very striking, pretty horrific light. You know what I mean? Especially especially with the Vietnam War, which was pretty horrific. For me that 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 those were the first those were the first films. Okay. Yeah, I I think that well, let's focus on those. Then. Okay. Um, you brought up Red Dawn. Red Dawn came out in 1984. You were a little older. You were 10 or 11 when that came yes. out. Yes. Okay. So I'm remembering that a little. Okay. Um, was that 84? Yeah. Wow. And okay. the, the interesting thing about Red Dawn is that it's the first PG-13 movie ever, which which is which is my favorite factoid about it. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, Temple of Doom, the best Indiana Jones movie, Yeah. Uh, was a little too violent. And there were people apparently that upset that there was, there was no way to kind of delineate between an R-rated film, an adult film. Wow. And, uh, was and Temple PG? Yeah, so Temple of Doom was PG. Uh, so Red Dawn, as a result, was the first PG-13 movie. So there's a little uh, factoid for you. I gotcha. Okay. Red Dawn is one of my, is authentically one of my favorite movies. Did and John Avelson direct that? I don't know, actually. Let me look. Okay. I have, let me see. If, I don't even think I have that in my notes because I have everything about you. Okay, I'm not <laughs> about, sure. You know who I have all my notes about with this one? It's John Milius. John Milius, that's right. Uh, who's like my, my dude. No, it was directed. I, I was right. It was directed by Milius. Milius, okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought I, I didn't want I wanted to make sure he didn't just write it. Okay, he dir- he actually directed that. But it says, yeah, he directed it. So John Milius, who, who is a, a, an inspirational writer to me because of Red Dawn and because of Apocalypse Now. He wrote Apocalypse Now, which he based obviously on Heart of Darkness, which we can, we're, we'll talk about when we get there, yeah, which is an amazing is. book. Oh my God. Uh, so Joseph one of my Conrad, favorites. right? I actually at IGN, I had a picture of John Milius on my desk as a joke, like one of his like shot, like one of his professional shots. Oh, that's amazing! And it's him holding a shotgun, which I think is so fucking cool. 
I would have done anything to like Wolverine. Yeah, Wolver- Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, dude. Uh, Red Dawn. So what I Red Dawn is great for multiple reasons, and actually this ties into uh, a question we got from the audience or a comment, which I think brings us perfectly segues us perfectly into talking about Red Dawn. Okay, which I was hoping we would talk about at some point. I know we ran our lead with it, which is you know makes me very excited. Evan. Betterman says, follow-up question to best war movie. What's the best war movie about a fictional war, science fiction or otherwise, in terms of the genre or in terms of traditional war movies? Great question. So Red Dawn, I think, is the answer to this. We're going to have a really interesting question about this. I'll follow up with this afterwards because it's okay. a super interesting question that gets into this about a movie that neither of us would have ever had on our list. That oh, it's technically a war movie. For sure. Maybe you do. You're way smarter than I do if you thought of it as a war movie, though. I, my answer to this, Dagan, is, and to answer Evan, is, is Red Dawn. Okay. And the reason I love Red Dawn is because when you start it, it tells you the situation, the geopolitical situation in really a few sentences. Right. That sets up something that's even more fascinating than the actual movie itself, which is, in my mind, really fascinating. And so the idea is that, and for people that don't know or have never seen Red Dawn, first of all, go see it. Yes, Rent please. It. The original. Yeah. Mind you. Because the remake came out. The remake came out in 2012, and it's not terrible, but it's really I never saw not it. very good. I mean, right, okay. not, it has, doesn't hold a candle at all. I can't speak for it. Okay. Especially because MGM had Chinese investors, apparently, when the movie was coming out, and the movie was supposed to be us fighting China, yeah. which would have made sense. Yeah. And so they had to go there and digitally put North Korean flags and everything. Oh, and it was wow. totally ridiculous. Oh, wow. It's totally stupid. Yeah, we're going to fight North Korea, and they're going to invade the United States. Okay. Yeah, so Red Dawn starts by telling us a few simple facts that set the stage. NATO is over. NATO's collapsed. And the Warsaw Pact, which was the Soviet NATO, so that was like all the satellite countries, is growing immensely in power because there's this huge vacuum and there's this famine and all of this kind of stuff that's pushing the Soviet Union to expand into other parts of the world to try to, to survive. And certain South and Central American countries like Nicaragua become communist and Mexico has a communist revolution. And that's all you know beginning at the movie. So so it sets this awesome stage where the United States, it, it says, I think specifically, the United States is totally isolated because they have no friends now. And I love, when I was a kid and I first saw it, I was around your around the age you were when it came out when I first saw it. Right, that's right. And to me, I was like, this is awesome. It kind of tugged at these, these strings that I didn't know were there yet, which were these heartstrings of like, I love dystopian fiction. I yeah. love post-apocalyptic fiction. This is more dystopian. And I love the fall of the United States is a plot device. I think the fall of the United States is the fucking best plot device in fiction because it's so unbelievable. And yet it will eventually happen. So it will happen one day. It will happen. The United States is not going to last forever. And so exploring how it could happen now has always been really fascinating. It's fascinating, yeah. And the opening scene of the movie is, is to, to my mind, iconic. The teacher teaching his history class as the paratroopers are landing in the background and no one knows they're there. And it's like haunting. And he's talking about an invasion. And it's an awesome opening. Yeah, the imagery is haunting. It is. It is. Because we imagine, you imagine yourself as a kid in that situation. You look out the window and there's parachutes falling from the sky. You're like, what the hell is going on here? And what's so weird and interesting about it to me and what I, what I think Milius did most ingeniously is that it's not the Soviets that are invading the United States. It's the Cubans and the Nicaraguans that are right. doing it as That's proxies. Right. So there's like confusion in the beginning. Like, are you fighting all Soviet troops? There's Soviet officers and Soviet soldiers, but it's actually mostly Nicaraguan, I think, and Cuban yes, you're right. soldiers that, that are fighting. And they invade the United States and they try to split it basically and down the middle, you know, by, you know, by, get, you know, like by in this like surprise attack. And the story for people that don't know is just about how these these teenage kids create a resistance cell yeah. called the Wolverines and uh, they fight back. 
And to me, it was like, I don't know, Dagan, it was weird because it's so sick and violent to say and weird to say, but it was like a fantasy for me. Watching it was like, watching it was like, wow, this is fucking cool. I think that's, I think you'll see that that resonated that way with a lot of people. It it was a fan, it was a fantasy. It's not, it's a different type of fantasy, but I think that's a common thing. I mean, unless we're both crazy. I think that's what it was. You were, we're imagining ourselves in that situation, this pocket of kids form this like guerrilla resistance and go up in the mountains basically and figure out how to what state it's in colorado it's colorado calumet colorado i think i don't think it's even a real town but uh yeah they they're they're the wolverines are their high school mascot and so they they start this this yeah this guerrilla campaign very american revolution style Viet Cong style guerrilla campaign against the soviets who are super frustrated and what what i liked about it was that it was in it wasn't quite literal and i don't think it was even intentional and maybe john milius himself would say like this is not what i intended at all but it's an inversion of vietnam watching the superpower this fictional superpower because the soviet union was disintegrating in fact at the time we just didn't really know the full extent in the early 80s but they were falling apart but that the superpower was fighting this war where they should have easily won against an isolated enemy that they're stronger against but they just can't figure it out and and, and uh, it's exactly how we won the american revolution so that's interesting i never thought about that so i wonder if there was something to that as well that was really fascinating huh. but I, that was that's what i remember playing in the woods and like running around with guns, like yeah. water guns and using yeah. pine cones as grenades and all that kind of stuff. I was playing Red Dawn. I mean, that was kind of like what I was envisioning in my mind. Yeah. Was this like, because you're a kid and you feel like, oh, I could, you know, it almost empowered you in some sick way. This could be me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, we did too. We played that too. And the snow, you know, the snow and we had goggles and white snowsuits and like we were, you know, we were totally doing that, you know? Yeah. It was a, And that, that movie also, if I'm not mistaken, somebody may be able to speak to this when it came out on cable. They played it a lot. I don't know if it was HBO or Showtime because my best friend had HBO and we had Showtime growing up and they definitely played it often. I don't know which one they played. So it was it was on a lot. It was on constantly for a while. So it really sank into our psyches, I think, that movie. And that that literally, I don't think I saw a war movie before that. You know, unless Grant, you know, Grandma and Grandpa's house, they had some of the old war movies from the 50s and 60s on, which we'll get into that. That was presenting war in a different light. You know, that was often glamorized, you know, not glamorizing it, but it was more glamorous the way it was presented. Sure. Less no. gritty and less realistic. No, I totally understand. You that. know, yeah, I think in a way that it's funny because I think all war movies up until Apocalypse Now, which was 79, but certainly the 80s Vietnam movies and to an extent, even Saving Private Ryan, which was like a real Pyrrhic kind of feeling and uh and some of these other movies, Black Hawk Down certainly oh. did the exact opposite of glamorizing That's a good war one. and made you like cringe and yeah, be, and and. It's funny because it's about the wars that these things focus on, I think, more than anything. Vietnam, obviously, society had a great deal to say about Vietnam, and we probably would have had a great deal to say about World War II had we lost. We, yeah. had, we had a different thing to say about it because we won. Right, we exactly. Were high, we were high on that win for That's decades. That's a good, very good point. Before we move on from Red Dawn, the, okay. the one question I wanted to bring up comes from Eric Wilson, which was tangentially connected, I guess, to this idea of fictional war movies. Red yeah. Dawn is the only movie on my list, I can't speak for you, that... That's, that isn't about something that happened. Yeah. So that's the only one. So this this makes sense here. Okay. Eric Wilson says, "Do you guys consider the best Star Wars movie, Rogue One, to be classified as a war movie?" When I got when I saw that, I'm like, "Wow, that's brilliant. That uh, is it is a, it is a war movie. It's a war movie. You could say that all the Star Wars movies are war movies to an extent. They're these space operas, obviously, but they they are war movies. But I think Rogue One is literally a war movie, like exactly yes. what you would think of as a war movie. And I'm sure it's not a unique thought, not necessarily that Eric has here, but it's certainly a thought I've never pondered. No, that didn't. Uh, the Star Wars movies didn't weren't didn't. You know, I wasn't thinking about those. It is about a war. You know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I I would have to. I was gonna say Red Dawn is probably the best movie about a fictional war, as far as I'm concerned. But the Star Wars movies, I think you have to. You know, you have to put those in there. I think 
as far as far as as far as science fiction goes, I did have an animated movie, Macross, on on my list. That is a a movie about the first human alien war. It's about the humans fighting an alien race that are invading, which I grew up with. But yeah, the Star Wars movies certainly. Yeah, I, I count those as war movies. Absolutely, Rogue One is a great poster child for that. I think. Well, let's get to to, to that in a minute. Okay. Because I want to move on to, to something on your list. It's funny because I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, well, the movie's called Star Wars, but I but again, it's like one of those things that's lost in translation. Star Wars isn't like a, a singular. It's not like Star Wars. Like you think about them as as individual words. That it's it's like a unison of this thing that means something. So you don't really think about it in a literal sense. That's interesting. And I'm not really to his question. I'm not. I wouldn't even really classify the trilogy either trilogy. Or the new movies, okay. the new the new trilogy as war movies per se, because they're more personal tales that take place on over kind of a backdrop of war, which you can actually say about all of them. So maybe yeah, that's not and the it's best an thing. ongoing battle, right? It's like the saga, and and it's so maybe the way I'm not explaining it the best, but but with Rogue One particularly, which is what Eric asked about, yeah, Rogue One is because of its it's very it's very dynamic, but also very limited, and it's about a, it's about a campaign, yeah. It is a war movie, and I, and and do I think it's better than Red Dawn? No, but I think it's a great not for me, but yeah. I think it's a really really great Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, that's movie. that's great. It's got me thinking about more fictional war movies, but that's a, those are two great examples. All right, so let's talk about uh, Macross. I don't have that on my list. I okay. don't I don't think I've seen it since I've been very well. I was very young. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about where it comes from, what it is, and why you care about it so much, and why you why you okay. kind of or why you kind of remembered it when we were. In the yeah, discussion. absolutely. Well, Macross was a sci fi anime space opera we we knew it as robotech in the united states but it was super dimensional fortress macross in japan and it was also a tv series there when it was adopted you know sort of bought translated and adopted for the united for the for north america and they called it robotech you know some things were lost in translation and things but it was it was mostly about it was sort of a love triangle between three characters set during this war in space with an alien threat, you know, humans versus this alien threat. It's futuristic. They have futuristic technology. The good guys have these planes called Valkyries that are, you know, mecha that basically transform from a fighter jet into a robot. And they also have an in-between mode that that's like half, that's half and half. And that's the technology they use to fight this alien threat. It really resounded with me growing up. I mean, it was ba- basically, it was really inspired by space cruiser Yamato, which was like, or the, we knew that as Star Blazers in the United States in the 70s. That was a little before my time. I never knew that as a kid. But Robotech was like a direct, that was about, you know, a spaceship, you know, a freedom fighting spaceship in space. But Robotech was sort of a play on that, very inspired by that. That's what I grew up with. And then there was another story that was televised as part of the Robotech saga, that was known as Mospita in, in Japan. In the United States, we got it as Robotech New Generation. And that was a story about very similar to Red Dawn, which I loved. I had seen it right after Red Dawn, and I was like, oh my God, this is an animated Red Dawn, which is like a group of kids somewhere in North America, you don't really know exactly where they are, that's fighting that there's one officer from Rick Hunter, who is the hero in Macross, from his, he becomes like, um, I don't know if he becomes a general, if he becomes an admiral. I think it's an admiral, but one of his pilots crash lands on Earth and basically forms a resistance of kids, teenagers. And f- they form a resistance very similar to the Wolverines in Red Dawn that fight the Invid, you know, sort of a guerrilla strike and hit 
type of thing. They have um, some technology that they stole. They have battle armor that tr- motorcycles that transform into battle armor. But it's very much like they're on the run. They're fighting this threat that's a lot bigger than they are, you know. And they're going from town to town and fighting also the human element gangs and things like that and picking up people along the way that join them it's very very red dawn and had a huge impact on me in fact i wrote a story in the high school newspaper called tumbleweed that was like very very much inspired by robotech new generation or most most PETA. so that was a big war thing for me growing up that had a huge impact on me that almost felt like an animated continuation of red dawn so that yeah that had i don't know if you've ever seen those but that had a it, just just the fact that those are on television growing up, and that was one of my earliest, in, in, you know, influences for anime as well. So that was a big thing for me. That was a big thing for me that as far as war stuff goes, and it felt real. You know, it was it was it's primitive by today's standard, especially for animation and stuff like that. But it was presented in a very dramatic way. You know, characters died. Cat, you know, cat, there was unrequited love. Characters died. Characters were alcoholics. You know, characters were you know, too young to be fighting. There was, you know, androgyny and homosexuality. It was very realistic. And a lot of this stuff was watered down for American audiences, both in Macross and in New, and Robotech New Generation. But uh, it was watered down. In retrospect, you could go back and find out, you know, what they sort of, they made more tame and things like that, expecting American kids couldn't handle it or whatever. Typical of anime of that era. But, um, yeah, really, really had a huge impact on me because it didn't talk down to kids you know what I mean it felt realistic you know it felt like something almost like and it felt you know it felt a little taboo like I don't know maybe I shouldn't be watching this type of thing but it was actually but it was you know really engaging always really engaged me you know and inspired me you know well written really well written stories right on yeah what else from I mean we brought up the Vietnam movie so I guess we should talk about them there's there's to me I mean there's a lot of them but to me the trilogy of Vietnam movies would be Apocalypse Now, Platoon, and Full Metal Jacket. Yes. Now there are others, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, and sure. And so, uh, That's I, mean, a good e- one. I mean, even Oliver Stone. I mean, Oliver Stone did three of them, right? So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, only one of these, because um, this is Kubrick and obviously uh, Francis Ford uh, yep. as well. So yes, I, I which one of these I think resonate with you most they're they're all different because I think that platoon shows the war as I think it was, which was brutal. Apocalypse now is about a fucking madman and yes. and and super super fascinating yeah and al- it's an allegory and then full metal jacket shows Vietnam, but it shows training and and obviously the, the fucking craziness of uh, the sergeant and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah so I think it gives you kind of like three different looks it does and I haven't seen any of them in a while, but the to me. I, I would say that I, I Apocalypse Now is probably the one that seems to resonate most with my in my memory. But I think Platoon's probably the one I remember the most in terms of like beat to beat. Uh, that's interesting. I want to hear your take on Platoon. Well, so <laughs> Platoon came out in the mid '80s. So by that point, we're twelve years, thirteen years from the end of Vietnam, which ended in you know the mid '70s. Wow, it wasn't even that far though, huh? No. So it's like it's as if we were making movies now, and we are making movies now about Iraq and 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 even more pertinently Afghanistan. And uh, which we have plenty of of those still to this day and some good ones. But to me, Platoon was a movie that resonated with me as a young kid because it showed it was the first time I saw something real that was about something I didn't quite understand yet, which was Vietnam. Vietnam's very complicated. Yeah. And Vietnam's so complicated compared to World War Two, compared to World War One. These things have, have a, a congruence 
they connect to each other. You and I were just talking about this. They're intimately connected in World War One and World War Two. It's almost the same sides, depending on if they existed anywhere after World War One. It was just a continuation of it. The Nazis yeah. rose to power because of what happened in World War One. So there's this like encapsulated. 40 year period almost where they're like that the shit was about to go off or did go off yeah really more 30 year 35 year period and so it's easy to kind of grasp the overarching themes of what happened in those wars how they interconnect with each other how europe has been fighting fighting amongst itself for a long time and how things have come to a head over many over many centuries many times over and that this was a this was the time that it happened in a modern era with modern weapons trench warfare you know mechanized infantry gas and noxious kinds of things that you know terrible weapons nothing nuclear yet but really deadly stuff and it killed a lot of people it killed an entire generation of men in the 19 teens especially from specific european belligerents right kind of got in very late and I'm not, I'm not denigrating the United States, by the way, in World War One, we did help and we did lose a lot of men, but we didn't lose anything compared to what Europe did. And what was and to that, come? And the other interesting thing was that we weren't a central focus of really World War One specifically, we were not a central focus of at all. It didn't happen at all on our territory. World War Two happened a little bit on our territory in, in, in Pearl Harbor. Hawaii wasn't even a state yet. So it's like this far flung territory. No one really even gave a fuck about. And we fought somewhere else. We were the heroes. Vietnam has this different complexion. And I know that adults probably got something at you probably even got something different out of it when yeah. you saw it for the first time. But I certainly got this feeling of abject horror watching it because it's not as scary as Apocalypse Now, which is really fucked up. And it's not as dark humorish, even if it's not intended as Full Metal Jacket was. Platoon was just a, a glimpse into a war that was unpopular fought by men not too different from you or I are you and I today they came home disrespected you have this tangential understanding of it because you're young or I'm young at the time and that's my takeaway from platoon so it's not even about necessarily these specific scenes or that even though I see a ton of them yeah the, the palm trees the the ramshackle reed houses yeah, the, the, the it's wet it's yep. disgusting yep. everyone's smoking cigarettes or has these things stuck in their helmets or you're fighting a mysterious enemy a very wily enemy not unlike the revolutionaries fighting at Lexington and Concord, fighting in unorthodox ways, what they would call in history books or in in, in, in political books, asymmetric warfare. So it's it's a lot of glimpses into all of those things. And yeah. that's kind of my takeaway from it. I know that's a long-winded winded way of saying that. But, that's fantastic. But that's the way I feel about Platoon. And I think that it, it has its place in film history for that reason. What do you think? I think that's I think those, that's well said. I think yeah, the imagery that you described is such a big part of all the Viet, all the Vietnam movies, especially the ones that we remember so so well, the bigger ones. It's funny too, like what you said about. I don't think with the Vietnam movies, as far as your generation, millennials and Generation Xers like myself, I don't think there's that much a divide on how we view those movies. You know why? Because I think it all comes down to us thinking like that could have been my father. You know what I mean? Because for our ge combined generations, that could have been dad. Right. And, it, and dad was in the Air Force during Vietnam. He right. Never got and sent he over. Right. He never got sent over. And they and mom and dad had a lot of friends that went over there. Yeah. And a few that died. So that always resonates. That is especially resonating, I think, not only with us. I'm sure a lot of millennials and Gen Xers would think that would 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 say the same. Like that could have been my, my, my father over there. I think Platoon is a good one. I'll, I'll touch briefly on Platoon. Of the three, I'll touch briefly on two. Platoon, I think, is an amazing character study because it shows what happens inside of one platoon and what war does to each one of those men and how it divides them. You know, there's the one platoon leader that's sort of inherently good and the one that's inherently bad. 
and how it's taking their effect. You know, one's it's it's taking his good and he's trying to be, a, you know, the Willem Dafoe character. He's trying to. I don't remember it too well, so I don't want to speak out of turn because I ha- actually haven't seen this movie in a long time. But as I remember it, there's the one platoon leader that's trying to do right and the one that's just inherently bringing them down. And then all the other members of the platoon as well, like how war is taking its toll on them individually. I love Platoon as a character study. I watched that movie a lot, actually, as a kid. Maybe I've seen that the most out of these. It's between that and Full Metal Jacket, because I, I, I love Full Metal Jacket. But um, Platoon is awesome. And, of course, they made the NES game of Platoon, which was absolutely horrendous. But, right, right. And so, I mean, that's NES hard. Like, that game is so cryptic. I mean, that game is the worst. <laughs> so, but the movie is wonderful. A wonderful character study for me. And Apocalypse Now is so visually it's so visually stunning of a movie i mean the flight of the valkyrie scene is just i know it's everybody talks about that scene but it's for a reason like that is some one of the most beautifully shot gorgeous you know you were talking about earlier about all the all the problems that they had on that um coppola had on the set of that movie between, yeah i was saying when we were, when i was just doing a little bit of research for yeah. this podcast that i just didn't know how difficult it was for them oh, to make they it. were almost they were almost shut down a million times between the weather and marlon brando's hijinks but for me it's full metal jet first of all stanley kubrick's maybe may my all in all my favorite filmmaker i full metal jacket is one of the most haunting and one of the most memorable films beat for beat that I could actually think of war movie or no war movie. And of course, everybody that's seen it knows it's kind of split in two. It shows you these, you know, set during Vietnam war. It shows two things. It shows the privates in training camp with the drill sergeant, uh, gunnery sergeant Hartman, right? Joker and pile. Brilliant. And Joker and pile. And it shows them in training and then it shows, it shows them in training and then it shows those privates also in action in the shit. So the movie's kind of divided in half. Um, a lot of people say the first half of the movie, the, the training, the barracks part with, with, with pile is a better part of the movie. But I, I think the whole movie is really, really something else. And it's very Kubrick in that, for me, in that it doesn't, it presents the situations, it presents the uncomfortable, the uncomfortableness, the realness, the horror, the mean-spiritedness, just the whole, all the gritty reality, but it doesn't really give you a heavy-handed message, like this is what it means. It just presents it to you and lets you figure it out for what it means for you, and that's very that's not only brilliant, but that's that that was part of Stanley Kubrick's genius. Mm. For me, that movie is just... I watched that movie really young. It came out in 87, and I definitely saw it in 87, and I definitely saw it a bunch of times that year. I was pretty young. And you saw it in the theater? I saw that. I definitely saw it in the theater. I, don't, I guess I saw it with friends. And I saw it on... You know, I don't know if I saw it on VHS, probably on VHS a bunch of times. I believe I owned it. Just just haunting and terrifying and even when you know what's going to happen it's almost one of the, it's almost one of those movies that you feel like i wish i was seeing this for the first time because this is crazy this is crazy and i've seen it 15 times like i can't even remember what this was must have been like the first time i saw it you know what i mean like when he's confronting the private in the bathroom when he has the shotgun it's ins- it's insane it's t- it's absolutely it's it's 
terrifying. It's and it's saying like this is the effect that this is the effect that pressure and war and this is these are the kind of things that happened. Sure, you know. Um, so for me, Full Metal Jacket is the one. This it's one of my favorite Kubrick movies. Yeah, I think uh, you know for Kubrick, I guess maybe The Shining. Nothing beats that movie. But his interpretation of that and very again a very symbolic movie. There's actually a documentary I saw not too long ago, a few years ago, about like all the deep symbolism and it yeah, almost room like, it's almost like it's almost like nuts. Like where I'm like I don't know, guys. If like all this is a little crazy, but he maybe was, he did put a lot of things into his movies. I don't think you know. I don't think he shot the moon landing and stuff like that. I'm no, not yeah, right. But he did. He was. That's why he didn't make a lot of movies. I mean, he was the definition of methodical, which is know? great, and it, and it worked out for him. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I think that the 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 common theme between those three movies when they came out. So like seventy nine is a little is still actually pretty close in proximity to the, to the war, but eighty seven when Full Metal Jacket comes out, we're a little yeah. more distant. And then there are other movies that come out even in the early nineties. Oliver, one of Oliver Stone's Vietnam movies comes out in like ninety two. I want to talk about one that was from nineteen ninety two. We'll work that in. I, I guess what I want to say with the 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 theme yeah. of that time i think we have to, to to understand i think the resonance of those movies we have to kind of contrast them to the times and the 80s were these these heady times and these these in some ways very liberal times but in many ways very conservative times but they were peaceful times generally there was a lot of you know it's like panama and all that you know there's like sure. a lot of like kind of clandestine cia shit going on and stuff like that that come out you know both during reagan's second term and later but Generally speaking, there was this, there was the, you know, after the the oil embargo and the economy starts to pick up in the early 80s and people have money again and they have jobs and they're working and they have a car in the driveway and kids are fed and people are just feeling a little happier and a little headier. And, and I think that's why we look back at the 80s as this time of excess, um, yeah. because they were indeed times of excess. And this comes from the rise of the, the personal computer and, and new economies springing up and all these kinds of things. And I think Against that backdrop, pulling us back into the 70s and the 60s into, you know, good times in their own right, but certainly violent times and certainly whether it's the civil rights movement, uh, whether it's the Vietnam War and the hullabaloo surrounding the war and the expansion of the war and the Cambodia and Laos and the Pentagon Papers and all this kind of shit. There was a lot of unrest and it was almost easy, I think, for people in the 80s to forget about that. And there was also a, a revisionist thing going on in history that didn't really stick at that time that still kind of persists to this day, staying, stating like... Maybe Vietnam wasn't as bad of an idea as you think it is. That's interesting. And and it didn't go very well. You know, McNamara and those guys knew for years that it was going it was going into the shitter and they just didn't want to lose. But there was this through line, and I certainly have read things and and heard things and had arguments with people and not arguments necessarily, but conversations about, you know, this war of containment, this idea that communism was expanding. If you put yourself in the period in the sixties and the seventies, even in the fifties when it really starts to kind of like the French are kind of fucked in Vietnam and everything's kind of falling apart there. You understand why they wanted to fight here and then you understood the threat and to ignore that there was a growing communist threat in East Asia with China and with North Korea and with all these things and what happened with the war of containment in Korea is kind of an historically ignorant stance to take. Now, I don't agree with that, but this kind of pulls you back and says like, that might be true on paper. Yeah. Robert McNamara. Right. But this is what actually happened in the rice paddies. And this is how many people actually died. And this is what happened during training. And this is how your friend next to you got shot. And are you sure that you feel you want to revise Vietnam's history? And I think looking at it through that lens is super fascinating to me. And I think why those movies were made in succession by different very talented filmmakers in a genre that was full 
of competition. Yeah. Yet many of those movies still resonate to this day. And not only because of the names attached to them. Very much in line with what we see with World War II movies from a different angle, where it, it shows, gla- you know, early World War II movies show a lot of glamour and a lot of like, look at us and look how great we are. And yeah. it wasn't really until the 90s that you see movies that show a more violent edge where you're like, guys, the greatest generation they were, we beat the Nazis, we beat the Japanese, we were heroic, we did the right thing, we had a lot of friends helping us. I think maybe we give ourselves too many pats on the back for getting at the British and the French and the Canadians and the Australians and a lot of other people involved in this and the Russians. Right. We don't like to talk about that, but the Soviets certainly held their held their end of the bargain. But it was war. And so I, that's my interpretation of why I think those movies resonate and why they're so important. I like that. I like painting it against the backdrop of what was really happening when those movies came out as well. What was the movie that you wanted to mention from 92? Was it? Was it? Uh, no, it's from 1990. 1990, I'm sorry. Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I have, but a long time ago. I have no okay. recollection of that movie. Very... This movie sticks with me more than almost... And I have one other movie on this list that sticks with me as much as Jacob's Ladder that was equally as terrifying. But this is a movie... By Adrian, I don't know if it's, it's pronounced Line or Lin. I think it's Adrian Line. He's an English film director, and I'm uh, if somebody correct me if I'm wrong. He uh, he did Fatal Attraction, Flashdance, and Decent Proposal. A lot of sexually charged, thoughtful movie. All good movies, but this movie was a, a departure for him. Came out in 1990, which was a little bit after the the rash of Vietnam movies had subsided. Interestingly, and it's about a Vietnam vet and his. You know, he's kind of resuming normal life again and his effects from being a soldier in the Vietnam, an American soldier in the Vietnam War. He's a postal worker and sort of, you know, has a woman, but is haunted by memories of the family that he lost before he went into the war. And he's suffering from like pretty terrifying hallucinations, seizures. He's seeing like demons. It's really, really it's really scary. It's a it's a thriller. It's a really scary movie. The imagery is really haunting. And as the movie gradually unfolds, you don't really know what's going on. Is this guy losing it? Is he are these hallucinations real? Is he dreaming? Is he dead? Like you don't really know what's happening the way it's presented pretty brilliantly. And eventually it comes out that other platoon members that he's seeing are also having the same they're going through the same things and as it ends up i don't want to spoil the movie too much but is it a result of a chemical that they gave these soldiers or was it something else and i don't want to ruin the movie i really i want to leave it open-ended because i really if you haven't seen this movie i think this movie went relatively unrecognized it had a marginal success i think in the movie theater i was so into this movie in high school that i had a poster of it in my room and let me preface this by saying i i can't I like horror movies, but I can't deal with them. I'm way too sensitive for horror movies. They get in my head. I don't like gore. I don't like things like if you present something to me as scary, then I'm going to be terrified of it. I'm going to be sleeping with the lights on. Like I'm the worst with that. This movie I watched over and over again, even though it scared the hell out of me. That's how it that's it was like Velcro. Like I I just I just couldn't get this movie out of my head. It's such a masterful presentation of the horrors of war and what happened to this man or didn't happen to this man. I don't, I want to say more about it, but I would, I would much rather any listener who hasn't seen it to watch it first, watch it first. Cause you'll, you, and also as a, as a side note, um, supposedly this really inspired the makers of silent Hill. 
this movie. Interesting. As far as the imagery and stuff like that. It has a lot of film techniques and imagery that we didn't see see before. It sort of pioneered something. It doesn't get enough credit for that. I won't say more than that, but that's a movie. That's a Vietnam, and it is a Vietnam movie. So for me, that's a that's an extra memorable one. Yeah, for sure. Right on. Okay, so... Are there any other Vietnam era movies that you wanted to, to to discuss? There's some other honorable mentions. Hamburger Hill, mm-hmm. sure. Which I only saw once. That movie was pretty hard to watch. I remember I had a friend, one of my best friends, Tommy. Growing up, we we enjoyed. He was a year he was Dana's age. He was a year younger than me, and we did and watched everything together. He'll figure prominently in our GI Joe episode, Tommy. But he was the one who like we watched Platoon, Casualties. Where he's like, you got to watch Hamburger Hill, and I knew it was gonna be like a tough one. That was a hard one, but but an excellent movie. Um, is there any other ones? Is there any other ones that you could think of? That I'm, I'm trying to think of that. The, like Oliver Stone did three of them. I'm trying to think of the, what the last one was called because there was he did th- he did like within like a ten year period. I think did three Vietnam movies, and one like of them was that. obviously Platoon, and then one of them was Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm looking it up right now. I would call that one a must see. What was Thin Red Line? I don't want to talk out of turn. Thin Red Line was a World War II movie. That was about Guadalcanal. Okay. Okay. Which is a great movie. It came out around the same time. We can actually talk about those next because it came out around the same time as Saving Private Ryan. And it came out like the year after or okay. so-ish. Okay. All right. And so um, Heaven and Earth, by the way, is the Oliver Stone movie I'm thinking of. Heaven and Earth. Okay. I never saw. So the, people really hold those movies in high, in high regard. Platoon was the first one. I think that people's regard for them kind of shrink. Um, depending on as you go through those. Platoon's a masterful movie. So let's, I mean, this is a good time to talk about some of the World War II movies. Sure, like. yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, we can start with The Thin Red Line, although I don't have a great amount to say about it. It was like, you know, Sean Penn. Yes. And Based it's, on about the... Gua- it's about it's about Guadalcanal, and it showcases more of the violence of the Pacific Theater. And I've often said that, and I think it's just demonstrably true that the Pacific Theater is just way less interesting to many people than the than the European theater of World War II. And the, even the African theater with Rommel and everyone, like, you know, the Desert Fox and we're fighting in Italy and all this kind of crazy shit's happening there. I think that's way more fascinating to people, not only because um, the enemy is way more literal. It's like good versus evil. In yeah. a really literal sense, probably the most literal sense in war history, actually. But the Japanese theater was so over the top violent. And so fucking wretched, you know, in yeah. a lot of, I'm not saying that the, the European theater, Normandy and all that were, was a cakewalk. No, no, but it certainly wasn't. But the Japanese theater, I think is hard for us to stomach in a lot of ways when we really think about what went on there. And so I think that any, typically I think that a lot of movies that happened during that time, and I don't want to say all of them, but any movie that's set in the Pacific theater comes with that extra baggage where it forces you not to be distracted by Hitler and the Nazis and the fascists, even though the Japanese are fascists too. It, it forces you more to deal with the realities. It reminds me a lot of what I was saying about Vietnam. It, it deals, you deal with the reality of what happened there as we yeah. hopped from island to island and just from their cold, dead fingers how to like extract these pieces of land that are two miles long right. so we can land fucking planes on them and that they would fight... To the last man. Yeah, and they really would and did. They they would pretend to surrender and and have or, or, and they would have grenades underneath them. They would you know pretend to be dead and have grenades underneath them. Bonsai charges, literal bonkers shit that wasn't happening in Europe. And and it, you know 
Europe had its own atrocities and its own terrible shit happening and every life lost obviously counts. And obviously the concentration camps and the, the systemic death uh, and destruction of land and people material and the Nazis undertook was unrivaled in history. So I'm not I'm not trying to diminish that. Right. But this was man on man conflict on these little strips of land in the middle of the ocean, thousands of miles away from anything. And glamorless were they, you know, personified, I think. And so we didn't and I still don't think in a lot of ways have grappled with what happened there. And whether it's Midway or Guadalcanal or Okinawa or any of these, uh, you know, any of these fucked up situations. Yeah. You know, Bataan and all, you know, all of this. I wonder how much of it is just the and I don't know, just from my perspective, I haven't really thought about this before the last two minutes of talking about it, discussing it with you. But I wonder how much of it is actually just the discomfort between two peoples now, they, you know, the Americans and the Japanese, that are such, you know, easy allies. With the Germans in World War II, that was a faction, a, you know, a ruling faction that no longer exists. The Japanese people are just the Japanese people. Obviously, right. it's, it's, the, it's different, and they lost and accepted defeat. But you know what I mean? Like, I wonder how much of it is just that that's not explored more. It's just like, oh, I don't know. We're, you know, we're, we're friends now. And that was a kind of a part of history that we really regret. Yeah, it's 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 not even on both sides. It's regrettable. It's right? regrettable yeah. like that, that it happened at all. And, yeah. and there's a lot of blame to go around. They initiated the conflict. So I don't want to. That's that's just historically a fact. That's and, it. and they were they were doing it under cloak and dagger by pretending at the same time in Washington, D.C. that they wanted to sue for peace. And right. they did that on purpose to buy time. And they, they launched the most devastating sneak attack in the history of mankind. And it was ingenious yeah. in a lot of ways. But it right. was fucking devious. And dastardly. Fu- yeah. But we also shut the oil spigot off and, and had an oil embargo and we're trying to strangle them. So it, there, there, there's a, a lot of conflict there. I think a part of it, Dagan, is that Japan, it's similar to Europe with the Marshall Plan and everything and how we gave them money and rebuilt them, which is an unparalleled thing that no one's ever done. It's basically just level entire countries and then pay for them to yeah. build them back up again. And we did that in Japan, too. You know, you see it actually, my mind is drawn most intimately to, into Mad Men because I don't know if you, did you see all of Mad Men? Oh, yes. So there's a few episodes where they deal with Japanese businessmen and they're not far removed. They're less, they're fewer than 28 years removed from, from what happened. And these guys come in and there's still, you can see it with Roger Serling specifically who fought in the Pacific theater in World War II. And you kind of get that, that he has a huge problem with them. But there was a quick healing that happened that I think to your point, and I think you're exactly right. We just say like, this is so fucked up. The nuclear bombings and everything operation, you know, the operations to, to, the planned operation uh, downfall, I think it was called, to to go and take Japan and how we were going to lose a million men. And it was going to be the most, it was expected to be the bloodiest and most devastating conflict in the history of humankind, which really says something considering what the Soviets and the Nazis particularly were doing with each other sure. in the Eastern Front right. for years. Right. So that's a really brutal sort of situation so then red line and other movies that explore it i was just looking on my laptop because i forgot the name of it hacksaw ridge is another fantastic good call fantastic movie good call and what i like about that is it explores the pacific theater and shows how devastating it is and shows the patriotism and what was looked at as cowardice by this in fact very brave man who stuck by his guns yeah true story no pun intended yeah true story i tried to watch it and it was too much for me it was so good but excellent I, yeah, it was just the, the it was just too graphic for me. And it showed just this man amongst this backdrop 
of violence unlike we've ever seen or yeah. experienced before. Yeah. Refusing to pick up a gun, refusing to fight, refusing yeah. to attack. I love that And story. healing and even helping the Japanese who were injured as well. In other words, just looking at every life as something that was valuable. And so I think it's the way we interpret these different stories in this different situation in Japan or with Japan in the Pacific and, you know, from 41 to 45, that's that paints our expectations of what we see out of that theater. And I don't think we're really ready still in many ways to confront the vile nature of what happened in the Pacific, not only from their dastardly kind of actions, but what we needed to do to end the war. And it culminated with the only use of nuclear bombs in warfare. It's such so, a beloved ally today. Right. We love Japan and we have we have a great relationship with them, although it's souring again a little bit as the right wing kind of takes hold there and they want our military out and stuff yeah, like that. And that's it. fine. I mean, if you want to sound, I, my whole interpretation of that, not to get political, is fine. So I think that's kind of the reason. I think we just look at the Nazis as this, when you think of World War II, I don't think many people think of the Pacific. I mean, if you think of yeah. only one thing, yeah. you think of the Nazis and you think of Germany and you think of the Europe and, and That's all the that. iconic thing that you go to. Indeed. Of course. To me, the most iconic World War II movie, and it's it's so trite, but it's true, is Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And you got to talk about this movie. I don't know how you feel about it, but okay. I remember I was in middle school, I think. I, it said 1998 on Wikipedia, which I you know went on online, which I believe, but yeah. I, I thought it was 97. But I think I was in eighth grade, and I saw it with dad. And I don't know if you remember, this was the internet existed and people were talking, but the buzz person to person at this time about this movie was the first 30 minutes are fucked up. Oh, I, I, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember hearing that, like from people that saw it. And yes. I remember that being in reviews. There were warnings basically being like, this is fucked yeah, up. Get ready. And I remember that I loved history so much, you know, my entire life, really. But dad was like, fine, let's right. just go see it. Right, right, right. He took Oh, you saw it with dad. Mm -hmm. OK. You know, he's seeing the warnings and hearing about all yeah. this kind of stuff that, you know, people might remember was part of the zeitgeist at the time. And and. He kind of just let me see it. And I remember being so impressed, not really, still really not understanding filmmaking at all, but with Spielberg's ability to capture this brilliant, famous moment, June 1944, D-Day, Normandy, France, the five beaches that we land on. We land on, the Americans land on two of them. It is chaos. It's horrific. And they captured it as best, I, I think as best as it can possibly be captured. Yeah. I don't know how they could have done it any more visceral and and realistic than that and he and spielberg wanted to present it in such an in such a way by getting some of the veterans that were still alive that were involved in that to share their memories with him right right and, and they show those was. interviews and it's that's the way they capture the essence of it and i love that shot where the guy the old man with his family is at arlington yeah. and they're going through the cemetery and he's finding you know his buddies or whatever the case might be. And, and they, and then the, the camera pans into his eyes. Really one of probably one of the most iconic shots in, in film history. Right. And then it's him on the lander in 44 going and, you know, land about, you know, minutes away, seconds away from landing uh, in Europe and getting, you know, K hell. And before the hell Nazis unleashed. knew that they were coming. They, they, the, you know, the Nazis identified Normandy as as the likely landing spot. If you looked at the geography, they were ready. They they were like, we know they had their gun batteries in place, and they were not stupid either. I mean, they knew what was required to create a buffer, considering the Maginot Line in the eastern part of France, which was the the trench and gun emplacement, the extensive concrete hundreds of miles long that that France created after World War One to keep the Germans out. Right, the Germans literally just went around it. They insane. invaded Belgium, right, and then just went around it. It's so. Insane. It's insane. So, so 
they the the Nazis had this understanding of how to lock something down, considering they saw exactly what happened when someone didn't lock it down, right? And to their benefit, we we end up landing and, and succeeding, and it's a huge turning point in the war. It's the the biggest turning point in the war. But to me, I I feel that movie's iconic because again, the beginning section shows you the violence. No character sacred in it. Look what happens to Vin Diesel's character, who I actually really like when he's yeah. trying to rescue the little girl. It shows violence in bursts, so it shows like this real, the Wehrmacht fighting the Allies landing on the beach and this violent thing, and there's like little tussles and stuff like that. But then it shows limited engagements that show that the violence is this everlasting cloud long-lasting unpredictable thing that's going to happen and you don't really know when or how and they're alone and they're skulking through the french countryside and yeah it's fucking scary and it and, is and it captures it and it's all obviously against the backdrop too of finding this this boy right. this man that his his brothers are all dead and was that also was that premise also based on something that was historically a thing yes okay as far as i understand it was because of that it might not have been or it might have been fixed even before that or i don't really know the situation where like i don't think it's legal for multiple sons to be serving in the same theater okay that makes sense or multiple i guess maybe it's multiple you know, multiple siblings, siblings. At this point. yeah so that you know she she lost three of four and they were basically saying like, it's we gotta, such a we brilliant this guy. premise to set it against and you're right it's presented with such tension like you said anything could happen you know, it might be a skirmish. There might not be a skirmish for two days. It might turn into a huge thing where you're fighting a whole battalion of German troops. We don't, you don't know. You know what I mean? And it's presented in such a way, like you said, with the Vin Diesel moment, with all the characters that we grow to love, the sniper, you know. Yeah, Jackson. Jackson, you know, Jackson. All the, all the, it's, it's presented in that, that way. It's, it's very Spielberg, Spielbergian in that it's a character. The characters are wonderful in the movie. But it's a very character-driven piece. But it's also presented very cinematically, but also realistically. It's a it's a it's a movie that only Spielberg can make. And the first thirty minutes, I can't even watch it. I can't even watch it again. I mean, it, it it's so. It was one of those cinematic moments that you witnessed that you're like, oh, you know, it's bre- it's breathtaking and horrific and terrifying, and you can't stop watching, but you want to stop watching. I mean, it's masterful filmmaking. Just that these guys were just like sitting ducks and the hedgehogs are floating in the water and there's so many injured and the the, the ocean's filling with blood. Like, you know, they I mean, there's just so much blood in the water that's actually turning red towards the shore. Like, it's insane, you know. And just the fact of like that it could have been that, that way is just just unbelievable. Like, not only the terror, but also the bravery. Sure. The, the, it shows. Well, that's what I love about it, Dagan, is I think it shows incredible valor. Right? Yeah. Tom Hanks is all about valor and and doing the right thing and trying to explain to his people that are not very happy that they have to do this and that actually start losing their own guys because of this total fucking extraneous thing that they're doing yeah and start to grow resentful of it yeah though i can't remember the one guy the one guy from brooklyn i think is the one yeah ed burns character yeah he like is fucking furious get his name and it shows so it shows the valor it shows the impatience it shows a lot of the realism of war and one of the things that i love about it that i think people are a little more skeptical of or hesitant to talk about is that it shows cowardice specifically through one character yes it does um and who's like the 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 translator and he has his like kind of redemptive arc at the end but private up him the the, yes the the ironic part for me is he he's unwilling to fight he's he's a character that's there to frustrate the shit out of you and he's there the one kind of and on one way he's the angel on their shoulders like when they find the german soldier 
and they're going to kill him. And they make him like dig his own grave and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And he's the one that kind of calls him off. He's like, what do you do? First of all, it's illegal. Take him as a prisoner. So it shows that like, but it's also this devil on your shoulder of like, you know, the, the really one of the most really horrifying scenes is the hand to hand combat scene where the German soldier like slowly stabs the guy. And it's like, it's this visceral, like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, like yeah. this is, this is horrific. Yeah. And this is what was happening. Yes. It was life or death as they are grappling with each other. It's not a wrestling match. It's not a fight on the street. Whoever stops, who doesn't have the will, doesn't have the strength, is going to fucking die at that moment in that room. That happens because that guy stands on the staircase and doesn't do anything to that guy. And then he later kills Tom Hanks. It's maddening. And and then he, like, you know, has his little redemption, but it's not enough. And I think that that was all somewhat intentional to kind of give you not a foil, not like a... It's not like a lark or anything like that. It's it's literally there to be like there's a there's the the sniper who's praying all the time and the the guy you know Vin Diesel's character who's kind of like got a big heart. You know Tom Sizemore I think character is yeah. kind of like the grounded the sort of like command. lieutenant. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is a, this valor you know uh, all about valor and honor and, yeah. and doing what he's told to do. And yeah. then you have this guy who's a coward. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Every character is presented, and I think the Upham character, the coward character, was actually Spielberg's surrogate. Like that, he said that was him in the movie. You know, that's how he would have handled, honestly, how he would have handled it, you know. And I hate to say, Dagan, like, you know, I don't I don't want to throw that word around loosely. Yeah. Because God only knows what oh I would have done God. in that situation. I can't even. Yeah. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying that from a, I'm saying that from a critical standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah. Not from. I necessarily blame you, although it's easy to say, like, all of these other guys are yeah. doing it. And I'd like to think that I maybe I would have died, but maybe I would have done something about right. it. Right. It's the same thing with Vietnam, where we're, you know, against that, we were talking about all the Vietnam movies in the backdrop of not only the war, not only the horrific nature and people dying and people going over and not wanting to go, but also the draft dodging and a lot of acts of what people would call cowardice. You can't, from my viewpoint, when you look at that kind of stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to think that I would have went, but I don't know what it was like to watch TV one night at eight o'clock. And see if my number was pulled. And then, based on my birthday, this, this immutable fact that I, of myself that I can't do anything about. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, it's just like the way the Wonder Years opens with Winnie Cooper's bro- brother yes, dying. that's right. That there's Does just the whole series open with that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, you meet her brother, and the brother's cool, and everyone loves the brother yeah, in yeah. the neighborhood. And then, you know, oh, and, then, and then they get the news that Winnie's yes. brother goes, and then they, and he dies. Yes, the football game and all that. You know, to me, I look at all of that and I'm like, I'd like to think I'd do this. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that I would have been one of the heroes of Normandy, but it's entirely possible that I would have been fucking curled up in a ball and it's entirely likely that I would have been shot and yeah. killed. You don't know. You so could any one of those characters. Right. But you're not judging. I think no. that character was actually written as the coward in quotes. Right. So, so yeah. I, so I think that's a, a great war movie uh, and really, I think maybe the best World War II movie, although I want to give a shout out to Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. Uh, also Spielberg. So so yes. I don't think it's I don't think anyone can dispute that Spielberg has the best World War II movie. I just think you yeah. have to kind of figure out which one it is. And this is one where this is more clandestine. The backdrop is World War II. The backdrop is danger, fear, doing the right thing. Yep. Bravery. And uh, you know, obviously being filmed in black and white was really powerful too. Yeah. And filmed from not from necessarily the German perspective, but you see what's going on more with the, you know, the our, our enemy the enemy of the Americans in the, the American, the enemies of the allies, you know, in the German, the Nazi party and what was going on with them and their philosophy, which w- the more it's explained, the more horrifying it is. Right. 
and the more you learn about their whole mantra, the more the more terrifying it is. Sure. Yeah, and of course the Liam Neeson character and his arc. Yeah, and just cinema. Steven Spielberg is so obviously emotionally attached to the plight of the Jewish people during that time. It's just so many haunting scenes in that movie. And the Ben the Ben Kingsley character as well. Sure. You know? And a historic that's a historically accurate movie that this is what happened, you know. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's not it's not the only case of someone doing the right thing in extenuating circumstances in that regard there are lots uh, not a lots but there are quite a few examples from a few people to hundreds and thousands of people yeah. that that smuggled jews out of danger that warned them that hid them obviously and frank uh being the most famous example of being hidden and then actually betrayed by the people that had her in her family but it showed you one example of that one great example one famous and prolific example of yeah. that that's been well studied and well documented and again yeah you're right it shows a, a, a Still to this day, there's a movie called Downfall, which okay. is a German movie about the last days of Hitler, and it all takes place in Hitler's bunker, and it's a, it's in German, obviously, and it shows this this perspective that you don't, not only don't you get it, but you're almost afraid to ask for it, and I'm not so afraid to ask for it. I I yearn for it because there's nothing more fascinating than the little glimpses we get into Nazi Germany behind the 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 curtain that surrounded their empire uh their legal system like uh, i can't remember the movie which one it is there's a movie there's a resistance group called the white rose okay in germany okay. there wasn't really these vibrant there's like the Kreisau circle and stuff but there wasn't really these vibrant resistance groups that there was no effective resistance group in germany they okay. didn't do anything the most effective resistance was from the german officers who tried to kill hitler a few times and that was later right yeah it was like 43 44 45 when it, you know when they were trying to detonate bombs and all sorts of and like just overtly trying to kill right him. right right and you know maybe you know rommel would be involved in being the leader and people respected him is and that, that dealt with that stuff dealt with in the time what's the is it valkyrie 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 is the one yeah, yeah i think yeah. that's the one about yeah, yeah. trying to kill him okay uh, specifically at like some mountain retreat okay uh, not like Birch's Garden or whatever but like so you know that's when like the bomb goes off on anything I think that's the one where the bomb goes off and the table is the one that like the table's like this heavy oak or something and it protects him from the explosion and it kills a bunch of other people I've always been fascinated by that movie about the White Rose where they're handing out pamphlets I wish I remember the fucking name of it where they're handing out pamphlets in the school and they get caught and they get interrogated by Nazi police officers and then they get thrown into the Nazi kangaroo court system and you get glimpses into these things that you don't even know exist and ever think about, about these these about uh, the Nazi justice system. And so you get little glimpses of that. And in Downfall, you get little glimpses of Hitler's bunker and his last days and his inner circle and Ava Braun and, the, and the most loyal people around him that wouldn't leave him to the yeah. very end. You know, secretary and um, all of these people that were just true believers. Yeah. And you're almost afraid to ask for those glimpses, but they're essential again. I wish we got more of them because I don't think it says anything about how you feel. It's the same reason why in college, uh, you know, you, you you know, if you're a history major and, and you take Germ- Nazi Germany classes, you read, read Mein Kampf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I've read it. AP and, English, and, you know, right? AP English was that part of the AP? I, English I didn't read English? it in AP English. Okay, I don't think. I don't um, know if that was part of the reading list. Mrs. Parry. And yeah, shout uh, out to Mrs. Parry. She's still teaching. Uh, I have no idea. She was she's, great. She was wonderful. She t- she introduced me to some of my favorites, like Vonnegut. Obviously, Catch Twenty Two is one of my favorite books of all time. She she introduced me to that too. And Heart of Darkness, I think, which we yes. we kind of we kind of brushed over. That the was definitely now. an AP reading list. Yeah, I, I think that we, we in Schindler's list, just being behind enemy lines is something novel and unique. It's not necessarily like unheard of, but yeah. it does give you like again in a, in a war that celebrates America's victory. It's nice to see something that really has nothing to do with us at all. And that not everything good that happened in Europe <laughs> revolved around Eisenhower. 
right. and, and the invasion That's of... That's a great point about yeah. the movie. It and Churchill it, and all these people. Right, you know, the things that we normally hear and the things that we normally want to hear about. Yeah, and, the, and just that movie, just the heartbreaking regret that the character has at the end. Like, I, even though he did all these things, like, I, the, I could have done more thing. Like, if I just started earlier, I could have done more, I could have done more. You know, like, that regret is so heartbreaking and such a memorable part of the movie of a man that was really good but just it wasn't realized and you know he didn't realize his potential until he did and then he did these amazing things you know but yeah that always resounded with me that regret well we we did get a few notes about from the from the listeners about okay. over on patreon.com slash collins last stand yes. about uh saving private ryan oh, okay uh cole bullis uh and these are just comments really but he says cole bullis says mm. my favorite war movie of all time is saving private ryan I did a project in grade school, maybe sixth grade, on the D-Day invasion, and my paper for the project was pretty much me just describing the first 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. I think I got an A. Very good. Congratulations. Well, it was very historically accurate. You can take that from me. And Caesar Solis says, need you guys to finally give Saving Private Ryan the greatest of all time title it deserves. It's certainly one of the greatest movies of all time. I think the, if, there's a pro- if there's a problem with Saving Private Ryan, it's that it has nothing to do with Saving Private Ryan. It's that it's overexposed. Um, the movie's on TV all the time. I've seen it probably 5,000 times. Yeah. And so that's not the movie's fault. It needs to be presented. That's one of those movies that needs to be presented in its entirety. You can't watch it with commercials. You can't watch it cut up or censored. You know. And I say that knowing full well, I really don't want to watch the first half hour of that movie. I've seen it. I know it's horrifying, you know. But that's that's one of those movies. Yeah, it's one of the not it's, more, it's not one of the greatest war movies. It's one of the greatest movies. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean Spielberg you know, is, is a master, right? Stephen Oslin touches on Thin Red Line and Saving Private Ryan. He says, okay. "I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Thin on Thin, Thin Red Line versus Saving Private Ryan, as I've seen some contention on which is better. Personally, I'm on Team Team Saving Private Ryan, and it is one of the few films that gets me to cry every single time." He says more, and I'll get to that in a second. But I don't know that you could. I guess you can. You can say whatever you want, but yeah. I don't. I don't know that there's a case to be made for Thin Red Line being better than Saving Private Ryan. They were they were released in such close proximity to each other that they I think were. they are compared. That's true. It's contemporary to that time, obviously, because I think it's 97, 98. It's like it reminds me of Apoc- um, not Apocalypse, uh, Armageddon and Deep yeah. Impact, which were basically okay. the same movie. Yes. And they released released three months apart. Deep Impact's the better movie, <laughs> by the way. But it, I think they're just compared because of that. I don't know that you would even talk about them in the same sentence. Not necessarily no. on quality, but they're, they're just different movies. Different movies. Had they been released five years apart. So I think that I think that that's part of it. He says, this is what he says. And since okay. you brought up Macross, I think that it makes sense for me to bring this up in a way. Okay. And I, I didn't think of it, although... It's up there for me. He says, I'm guessing Band of Brothers won't make the discussion, but it deserves a shout out in the topic. Yeah, I would say yes. so. I mean, B- Band of Brothers is phenomenal. Oh, one of my favorite, my my favorite miniseries ever, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? It's it's amazing. It's, it's awesome. I think that it's, if there's anything about it, I think it's that it lasts a couple two episodes too long. I think it's kind of anticlimactic. But that's like really a nitpick. Yeah. Like, I, think, I think it's 10 episodes. I think it probably could have been eight. Like, I don't really need to see them... You know, when like when there's like friendly fire and they end up killing one of their own guys and all yeah. that kind of stuff at the end. It's a little weird. But I love how it opens with David Schwimmer and um, like training and then it really gets right into the shit. And I think uh, Winters is an amazing character. And Winters you, is. And you see, I, what's that guy's name? Because he's the main character in Homeland. Oh, the actor? Yeah. I should know that. He's, a, he's a wonderful actor. But everybody's good in that. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, everybody's good. It's a great ensemble cast. Spears, the end. Yeah. I mean, that character is like... I mean, unbelievable. I mean, that every character you could talk about every character in that movie, in that miniseries, and be like that. And specific episodes, just, just, dude, just brilliant. I mean, just so and so utterly watchable. I'll go on YouTube sometimes and watch the Spears moment where he relieves the guy in the of command in the middle of the battle. 
right? Yeah. You, you know the scene yep. I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is just the one of the most brilliant three minutes ever put on television. I mean, it's it's breathtaking. Yeah. I, yeah. Beautiful. You got to put that up there with Saving Private Ryan. It's almost as good. Damien Lewis is the actor we're thinking of, by the Damian way. Damien Lewis. Brilliant. He's, he's excellent in that movie. Or young in that Han- young uh, Hanks is in that movie as well. Colin yep. Hanks. Yep. Right. Yep. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a I so my memory of that is that uh it was it, it was an HBO show. You guys can still watch it. I think if it's probably free on HBO Go or if you yeah. have HBO subscription. If you have HBO, you just go back and watch it. It was one of the, it was the first DVD set I ever bought. It came in like a metal case. But it was on we didn't have HBO when I was in high school. Dana, our sister, did and she taped them all and sent them to me. And dad and I oh, watched really? them all in one day. Oh my they're like dad and I like literally I think we probably started at like six in the, at night yeah. on like a Friday or Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And watched all of it. Yeah, you like, guys were telling me for a while, like, yeah. watch this. I, I think it was like did. three or four in the morning when we were done. Oh, it's just... Yeah, because that's a lot of episodes, yeah. man. You it's guys 10 really episodes, going, You guys grinded. Yeah, oh my... Oh, we, we would just... We couldn't stop. It reminds me... I, I've not had many moments like that where I'm like, I can't stop. The most famous one I talk about is when I read The Road. I read that all. And, that's and, another and, one. And, you know, no time at all. Because yeah. I'm obsessed with that book. That's a page turner. Oh, my God. It's so good. The, you know, and that's one of the examples where the movie's great, too. Let's do a Cormac McCarthy episode. We could. I've only read... That'll be a fun episode. <laughs> I, oh, it would be very uplifting. <laughs> a very uplifting episode. I think I've only read two of his books. I'm obsessed with... I've read every one of his books multiple times. He's great. Well, maybe we should do that. Yeah, we'll do, maybe we'll do that. Well, I just, need to, I just need to dedicate a little bit of time to reading the ones that I haven't. I am a prolific reader. I read yes, too much are. nonfiction, though, so maybe I should, should... You have to read... But you haven't... I don't want to get on this now, but you, you have to read... You haven't read Blood Meridian? No. I'll read it. Well, immediately. It's a <laughs> you won't, won't want to write anymore. Like that's how well written that. Well, book that's the way I felt after I, I think I I took a sabbatical after I read the road. Oh, where I'm right. like, how do you say so much with so few words? Oh, it's his his writing. I could go on and on about Cormac McCarthy's writing. He's a he's a genius. He's a brilliant man. I read a, I read quite well, not quite a few, but there are quite a few writers over time where I'm like, oh, I'm never gonna be this good. Write more, Cormac. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be Please. all Salinger about it. Yeah. God's sakes. Just a few more here before we get back into it. Stefan Cantonella says, have you seen Enemy at the Gates? Well, not the best war movie. It is definitely one of my favorites along with The Longest Day. The Longest Day is a 60s movie, isn't it? That's longest the, the, Day I've never seen. That's that's an old one. Enemy at the Gates is excellent. A great pull. That's a deep cut. And that's a great movie. Have you seen it, Kyle? I feel like I might have. I'm, I'm trying to find information on it. I've uh, seen. Here's a little TMI for you. Hmm. I've seen every Jude Law movie. He's my man crush. Really? He's Jude Law? Yes, I, he's I my man. I, I don't crush. think I knew that. Yeah. Maybe I did. That sounds good. Uh, Rachel Weiss. Great cast. Uh, yeah, I did see this. Great one. movie. I remember this poster. Ed Harris, right? Yeah, Ed Harris, Bob Hoskins, Rachel Weiss, she's, Joseph Fins. She's wonderful. Fins. Yeah, Joseph Fines. Fines. Oh, yeah, it's the guy. Yeah, and Jude Law. And Jude Law. Yeah, Mark, yeah I was going to say, this reminds me of a high school movie. Yeah, I think I did see and this. And Ron, I, I don't think Ron I've Perlman, seen... too. Ron Perlman's in that, no? He yes, might be. He is. Sm- yeah. yeah, he is. Okay. I think I did see that because I always talk about in high school. I was in two, when that movie came out. I was in eleventh grade. I saw so many movies in high school. I, I saw like every movie that came to. The yeah, theater, high school. I was so a, fucking bored. You know. You went. What were your high school years? Your high school years. Ninety eight to two thousand two. Yeah, that was a good. That was that was a good four years for movies. Yeah, I mean, I always think about like the iconic movies from that time for me. I think American Pie. It's like our, <laughs> yeah. it's our, like our iconic Huge. teen movie. I, I literally, I love those movies. An American and, movie. You love that movie as well. And, 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 oh my god! I was so mad when I got when you got me that. <laughs> it was Did a I nice buy thought. It on DVD or VHS. You bought it on DVD. You bought it for me on DVD, and like we, I spent seventy five dollars for that movie. Are I don't you know serious? why. I dude, I have no idea why it was that much. Money. I appreciate, I appreciated it. I felt bad because I remember, I remember not liking it. 
but I didn't want to say that. Yeah, because it really isn't that funny. I just thought it was. No, it really, it really isn't. It really isn't funny. Although the, I still, I, although the iconic uh, scene where, what does he say? He's like, Jesus told me. So. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Yeah, how does it go? It's all right. It's, it's okay. okay. There's something to live for. <laughs> Jesus told me so. I'm like, I guess that's the funniest part that of the movie. Me laugh. I'm going to start coughing. Uh, the Longest Day, uh, 1962. Uh, that's also about the D-Day landings. Okay. That I don't. That one I don't know. I do have a pull. I won't talk. John about Wayne it is the main character in it. Who's the John Wayne? Oh, John Wayne's in that. Uh, John Wayne. Henry movie. Fonda, Robert Mitchum, Sean Connery. Oh, I gotta see that. What's the title of this movie? Uh, the Longest Day. I don't think I've seen this one. I have this. I definitely heard of this movie, and I I know it's a classic. I, I'm remiss not have, having not seen this, but I will see it. And I'm a big Robert Mitchum fan. I have another pull from a similar time. I don't know how this movie presents World War II, but I feel like this era, the 50s and 60s specifically, presented World War II in a different light. I don't know if you've seen this movie, The Guns of Navarone. No. I'm it's a caper that. movie. It's it's more fun and action-packed. It's about a small group of Allied soldiers that are f- like commandos that are formed to take out this gun battery, this giant gun on that's embedded on this the Greek island of Navarone that's... Uh, allied ships it's just destroying allied ship after allied ship so this crack team has to go behind enemy lines and take this gun out so it's a caper so much fun gregory peck amazing if you guys haven't seen the guns of navarone uh directed by jay lee thompson it's a it's a fun movie not that it's heavy i mean it's still you know what i mean it's still it's war it's you know what i mean but it's it's has that 60s flavor to it sure you know so that's another one but i will watch that other one that's yeah that, that sounds great i love caper movies like that yeah that sounds yeah, great. That's a good one. I'm looking at my list. The only other World War II movie I have, and I think that actually I only have one or two movies after that, I guess, okay. that are not World War II movies that we haven't okay. talked about yet, is uh, Dunkirk. Now, okay. you, and I, you and I saw that together. That's technically like a very early World War II movie yes. from, from the perspective of the timeline of World War II. And I don't know that it's the best World War II movie. I, I love Christopher Nolan. He's my favorite. I have a fucking yeah, you really thing do. for him. Yeah. Like I, 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 first of all, I think Interstellar is, you could argue that Interstellar is the best movie ever made. Wow. You feel that strong. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I really like it. It's absolutely brilliant. And even the, the, his uh, interpretation of the Batman movies, I, I have an incredible amount of respect. I think for they're him. really good. I they're don't excellent. know why people. That seems like a revisionist thing. Like people are more hard on them now than when they initially came out. I yeah, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, all I don't the get... fanboys were psyched. Like all of a sudden, now I'm not a huge. Collins the same. I think I could speak for you in this. Like we're not huge comic book American comic book guys. Not we're not huge on it. Batman, spe- specifically the DC comics, but those movies were. They're awesome. so good. I love Batman. Like I, I just it made me love Batman. I've always I never ha- I never liked the mutants, X Men, X Factor, right, Cable, Bishop. I, I like I don't give a fuck about it. Yeah, any yeah, of that. yeah. I, I never did. Yeah, and I should say that's that's really not your thing. You no, know? like I like grounded things, and that's why I'm drawn to Christopher Nolan because he takes the unbelievable and makes them grounded. Sure. Whether it's time travel, whether it's all these kinds of things, he makes you believe it. Which is why Dunkirk was such a weird project because I was like, I don't understand what you're going to do to this movie. Yeah. Um, and obviously he Christopher Nolan did up, but it was good. Yeah, with Batman, I. You know, I actually think the third Batman movie is the best of the three, and I know a lot of people think that's cr- insane. I love Bane. I yeah. think that character fucking rules, and I think Tom Hardy fucking rules. No, Tom, he really and, does and he did a wrong. great job, and I love how they had to re-record all of his audio. Yeah, and, because like he couldn't even fucking understand. Yeah, what he was yeah, yes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, he put up a video recently on social media that's been making the rounds where he had like his dog has like a, one of those like nut cups things yeah. or whatever. And he put the mask over. and He's like, you were born into the darkness, <laughs> like talking to his dog. And I'm like, this is awesome that you actually like love that character enough to actually put this on the Internet. That's so cool. 
So he's, he's great. I like him a lot. But what I loved about Dunkirk, and I don't want to go too into it because it's new, and we and I did a CLS video on it too. But it it played with the. It was so clever in the way it told the story, and it told you it was going to do it, but you didn't really understand it until the end. And yeah, it's obviously like a miraculous and amazing story. It really is. And I think that he did a really great job. Talk about, yeah, talk about a movie about courage. And you know what I appreciate about this movie? And I don't mean to sound like a prude, but there's so little actual on-screen violence slash gore. I mean, there is violence and tension and stuff like that. But I could show this movie, I don't know if I would, but I could show this movie to my 10-year-old. And they could learn about this war and these acts of bravery and these things that went on. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's like a few. No, absolutely. There's a few, like, you see characters drowning and stuff like that but you never it, it never it is one of the movies that shows resistance to this this need to to viscerally display yeah what you know is already happening yeah and the, what i loved about it is i don't think they say the word nazi once and i think that you only see them when they arrest tom hardy's character yeah, like, like, i don't yeah. even think you see them they're in not the even really in it no and absolutely. so it was a really clever and certainly intelligent thing in fact when they 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 when they tell you what just like a brief thing in the beginning of what's going on they don't even use the word nazi right that's 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 an interesting point yeah and you know we get to see some spitfires yeah oh my god i mean who can complain about that that. oh i love the aircraft from world war ii the two movies that i have remaining digging are black hawk down and braveheart good ones black hawk down is ridley scott obviously amazing we covered like every super important filmmaker. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but we covered lot, so many yeah, a lot of wonderful them. filmmakers a lot of in this. And, you know, it, so Black Hawk Down, I, me- I remember seeing it in the theater. And it's about Mo- what happened in Mogadishu in 1993 in Somalia, where we were going, I think, to arrest their president. And and there was like some unrest or whatever. And we ended up getting, you know, our, our men ended up getting like basically caught. And I remember how angry it made me. And I remember how um, upset it made me for the first time at this idea of conflict like the idea that it's not this abstract thing you're watching movies about vietnam and we talked about that vietnam and world war ii and the proximity to the events this movie came out eight years after it happened and it was based on a book i think that was written way closer in proximity to what happened there i think it's not even based on it. i think it's actually based on a ton of newspaper clippings yeah i'm not sure about that i think there was an investigation into it all right God, I, I wish I remembered more. I think there was like a newspaper investigation into what happened there that ended up being maybe turned into a book that ended up being turned into a movie. Regardless, I remember how it made me feel. That's like the, what I remember. I know that's like such a trite thing to say, but I, I, I remember like I remember being angry about watching just this this snafu occur before your very eyes over this thing that doesn't seem that important and just us kind of butting into things that are kind of dubious and how it cost lives and. You know, Somalia is still an incredibly dangerous place. Yes. And um, it, it, it is not I mean, often it, talked about now. It, no, it's not. And it basically doesn't function. It's basically failed state. If I, I as far as I understand it, if you're not within like a couple mile radius of a certain part of the capital, like that, the country basically just is, is chaos. It's lawless. Still. Yeah. And obviously there's like a lot of uh, uh, Islamic terrorism going on there now that was or like terrorist cells that are there now that wasn't necessarily like what we were mixed up in in the 90s. But right. That, did you see it? Yes, I saw Black Hawk Down. I might have saw that movie in the theater. I've only seen it once. I've actually only seen the film once. So I don't want to talk out of term because I'm sure I forgot a lot. But I remember it being very, you know, a very difficult movie to watch, especially as things as things escalate 
in the film. Just one of those movies that really resonated. And yeah, good. that's a really good pull. I'm, I'm glad you brought this one up. I wish I had time to see this movie and a couple others again before we did the show so I could talk more about it. But I remember really, you know, it's one of those movies you want to say you enjoyed, but you didn't really, you were really more educated by it. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. So for me, yeah. And then uh, Braveheart. Yeah is quite literally a war movie. It's about the War of Scottish Independence, 1995. Probably out of... Well, maybe Saving Private Ryan would contend with it, but Braveheart won Best Picture and was... Did um, it win Best Picture? Yeah. and wow. And it, I think it's the most celebrated movie that I've mentioned on here, although the, a lot of these movies are celebrated, so it's not like to diminish anything else. Braveheart is super fucking violent and super abstract because it's not... For an American audience, because it's not... Something we have, I had no idea, and I still don't really understand what the hell happens. Around, and, and, you know, with uh, this is like the 13th century, this is like way out of my wheelhouse. I like love the characters, you know, I love the, you know, even if you don't love the cat, what the characters are doing, the, the portrayal of Longshanks, and the, I, I can't remember the Irish guy that's like kind of nuts. Yeah, um, one of his uh, lieutenants. Yeah, like who's like, one of Wallace's keeps lieutenant. calling it his island, like Ireland's yeah, his great island. Great character. Yeah, like my island. <laughs> it's mine. What I remember about it, one of the memories for me, and it's funny because it's the VHS era, as I remember it was two tapes because yes. it was so long. Yeah, long movie. One of the most watchable. I mean, somebody recently said, and it's so true, and I'm sure a lot of people have said this, like, that movie comes on TV, I'm watching it. I can I cannot take my eyes off that movie. It is one of the most well-paced, entertaining it's it's educational it's it's in a way i don't want to say it because it's what's what it's depicting is such a such a heavy duty thing but it's it's fun it's cinematic the characters are so wonderful you know it's it's a it's almost like a classic story of good versus evil of just sheer courage you know sheer like audacity standing up for what you believe in it's like that's one of those movies that i can't wait till my kids are old enough to see it like cuz it's such a it's such a good film you know just on, uh, you know, it doesn't even, it's like one of those things where you hope, you actually, as you're watching, you're like, I'm whole, I hope this is all true. I hope this is how it really went down. And it's not, there's not really much gray. It's like, it's like good versus evil. You know, the English are presented as really evil in that movie. I'm not sure if that's how it really went down. You know, um, I'm sure a lot of it's based on fact. You know, it's just, it's Mel Gibson. You know, say what you want about Mel Gibson. The man knows how to make a movie. And he's a, and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a great actor. He, he definitely... He definitely messed up a few times, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems like no, his, re- his rehabilitation is on, though. Like, it's official now. Yeah. yeah. I think he yeah. was at, like, I think one of the movies he made, where, like, his comeback movie was nominated for some awards where he was at award ceremonies and stuff like that. Right. Like, kind of, like, being reintegrated into that Yeah, society. I think so. I think that he got, he kind of got a second chance, which is good for him because he really did mess up. But, uh, yeah, great movie. I think, yeah, I think he, it's on my list, too. I think you definitely have to talk about it. Yeah, I, I, you know, what resonates me with me most in terms of the film itself is the end, watching the downfall, and there's something. I don't know if it's intentional, but specifically because I know that he, he's, you know, ten years later he's doing Passion of the Christ and all this kind of stuff. But there's this allegorical kind of thing going on with 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 William Wallace, where it's a Jesus kind of downfall, where you watch this hero, this messianic character yeah. for these group of people get tortured and they show it and and murdered before your very eyes yeah which just backfires in a very similar way or kind of creates a movement and kind of a spirit that never dies to this day and so i don't know if that was intentional but i remember kind of thinking that i'm like this is 
it's like watching the messianic character fall, but this is what must happen similar to how Jesus must die and then rise again for the prophecy or whatever to come true. This is kind of like William Wallace has done his done what he, all he can do to create this this revolution as it were, this, yeah. this independence movement. So I I, I, I remember being quite gut wrenched by by the violence in the movie, but like and it's violence of a different kind. You're not really used to seeing sword and arrow violence, which is yeah. a really different level of gruesome. I don't yeah. necessarily know that I would want to die by being slashed to death. It's pretty gruesome. And actually, you know what? It's one of those movies where oftentimes we'll see it on TV and just keep it on. But when you watch the uncut version, yeah, there's like limbs being chopped off, beheadings. I mean, it's people's heads getting smashed in. Like it's pretty, it's pretty brutal. And the good, and the good, you know, the good guys are doing a lot of this stuff. That's how they fought. Right. They, they had broad broadswords and arrows and, and that maces. were you know inches in diameter or whatever. Like this is like yeah, maces and you know hot tar and all this whatever else that you know flaming arrows it was horrific you know yeah maces god yeah the weapons of war i mean there have always been terrible and horrific horrific but there's something about that dark ages era where it's like man this is fucked up i mean it's like what else do you have on your list because my i have list, my some list other is ones. exhausted i have some other ones i have just a shift in tone i'll i'll read a, a quick list of ones that i mean you could take your time i have, there's no there is no time limit let's see we got well i want to talk about we should definitely do an episode on movies that we were too young to watch. And one I have on my list is Johnny Got His Gun. And what I'll say about Johnny Got His Gun is that I wish I never saw it and still don't know what it is. That movie is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. A man, a, a young kid, I think it's set in World War One, right? I've never seen it. Who is in a foxhole when... I don't know if it's an artillery round or a bomb goes in there or what and loses his limbs and all his senses and survives as a guinea pig for like medical technology, basically I'm summarizing the movie for you. So this guy lives. So it's like one by Metallica. It's what the song <laughs> one has clips. Uh, it's about the story. Johnny got his gun, which is based on a, the movie is based on a book. Oh, I see. I don't think I even knew that. And the vi- music video has clips from the movie. Oh, I don't think I even knew that. Okay. So this kid has oh, no limbs. Can't hear. He can't see. He can't talk, can't communicate. He ends up communicating with Morse code by tapping his head and asking the nurse to kill him. I mean, this is the movie. I mean, this is, I saw this when I was like, I don't even know how old I was, 14, 13, 14, maybe I was 15. I was terrified by it. I was like, why did I ever, because I think what happened was that music video came out and I was like, oh, what's this? You know, and I, whatever, hit the video store, whatever I did. And watched the movie or found out about it. I definitely saw the movie. And I was like, what the... F-? Like, I, I was not pre- prepared or equipped. It was, like, hellish for me. Like, why did I... And, you know, suffice it to say, you guys are probably getting this by now, but I'm pretty sensitive when it comes to this stuff. And I, just the idea of that actually happening, whether that st- story is true or not, which I don't know if it is. I really hope it's not true. And then what happens is this guy is, like, in a hospital... And they're, he's on tubes, basically. He can't eat. He can't do anything. He has no mouth. I think what happens is he loses... I think what ha- he has like a, ho- like a horse's feeding sack over his face because I think what happens is he loses his hearing and his eyesight. But I think his face is gone from like the nose down. Like he doesn't have a jaw. And he has no limbs. And he can't do anything. So they're keeping him alive on tubes, basically. And they're like, well, should we, you know, do we just kill it? Have just like mercy kill this kid? And they're like, no, keep him alive to show 
we're we're keeping them alive to like show this that we could that we could keep someone alive in this state. It's it's terrifying. Like that's let me tell you something about Johnny got his gun out there. If you haven't seen it, don't ever watch it. <laughs> don't ever watch this movie. It's terrible. I wish I could go back and unwatch this friggin' thing. I wish that sounds I never... horrible because that, that sounds because there are certain things that really don't. I don't want to say resonate because obviously they don't resonate with me, but certain things that horrify me. Yeah. Being buried alive. Yes. Drowning. That's another so thing. So that's another thing where it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to see All that. right. At least he doesn't get buried alive. That could, if this guy got buried alive, I would probably kill myself. Like, I, <laughs> like, like that's like, yeah, that's the only thing that doesn't happen to this happen to this poor kid. And it's really like, it's well acted. I forget who plays, like he he's in and out of consciousness and you don't know what's a dream and what's reality because he's, he's medicated and all this stuff. But it, there's a scene in it where he's talking to, this is how bad this movie is. There's a scene in it, spoiler alert. There's a scene in it where he's talking to Jesus. It's obviously a dream. And he's like, you know, help me. Like, I can't, I don't want to live like this type of thing. And Jesus is just basically like, just basically like, there's nothing. I wish I could do something, but there's nothing I could. Sometimes there's nothing I could do for people. And like, like, it's just like every single thing that happens in this movie, it just gets worse and worse. It's like, oh my God, you know, it's just like, it's just, it's just horrible. So is there's it, that movie. Is it World War One? Yes, I, I, I believe it Vietnam, is. I was always Vietnam because of the, in, the, in, no. one, in one, it's like helicopter noises and all this shit. But maybe. Yeah, maybe they put that in. Yeah. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's World War One. And I believe. That's horrific. I don't know if he's an, I don't know if he's an American soldier in France or if he's an English soldier. You're my son. You're my son. Oh my. You're yeah, my. I cannot live. I cannot die. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what that whole. Oh my God. <laughs> They've taken <laughs> best double bass pedal. Oh, ever. you know what? In the song, it says a landmine, but I don't think it is. Hey, I think a, yeah. I think some kind of explosion goes off in the foxhole he's in. I think that's what happens. Hey. Oh, thank you for trying to cheer me up. That's a, I need some levity right now. <laughs> trying to do my best James Hatfield. So that was that was that one, and I have another really hard. I have two movies actually. I don't think you should watch. The other one, I don't know if you've seen it, is Grave of the Fireflies. No. Which is a Never studio, a Hayao Miyazaki movie, a Studio Ghibli movie about, I don't know if it's, the, I don't know if it's about the bombing of Hiroshima or Nagasaki, I'm not sure, and the aftermath of what happens there that centers around two, a little boy and his, and his little sister in the fall, in like the nuclear fallout, in the radiation. They, their parents die and it basically centers around them trying to survive. It's terrifying. And just one of the saddest things you could ever see on screen. It's it's as real as animation's ever gotten, you know. And I won't spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but if you have thick skin, watch Grave of the Fireflies. I mean, it's it's heart wrenching. I mean, I, I guess in a way, it's a really beautiful statement. But so Grave of the Fireflies, and I have two other things on there that I thought of: the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh sure, that's right? great. That's great. Center around center around a war and. For you know, and that's a more fun thing, I guess. And three hundred, which is obviously yeah, three hundred's great. Which is like uh, historical fiction, right? I have some other. I have some other words. I'm jumping around now. The Deer Hunter. There's a lighthearted romp. That's about. That's about really post traumatic stress and the fallout of war. My favorite topic. And one that I would like to have time to talk about. I don't know if we do sure. today. Maybe we could do a Quentin Tarantino episode in Glorious Bastards. Oh, sure. I was going to put that on my list. Uh, I wanted to keep it to 10 because I didn't want to... I, I cut a few other things out too. That's a great movie. Oh, it's so good. Oh, talk about action, acting, character, and tension. This is a, this movie is a master class. When this movie first came out and I started hearing about it, I was like, I don't know. This sounds weird. But yeah, just just for, just for sheer character, 
tension and just the movie presented in a different light. It's very Quentin Tarantino. If you haven't seen Inglourious Basterds, I won't say much about it. Watch it. This movie is an absolute must. If there's a must-see on this list, Inglourious Basterds is certainly one of the three on this list. Oh, you should do it. We should save it for a Tarantino. That's a great idea to do a Tarantino. Tarantino episode would be fun. Django Unchained, I think, would be my favorite. But I, but I love. That's interesting. But I love all. You know, well, I don't love all of them. I was a little disappointed with the. Uh, what was that one that came out just a couple years ago? Uh, that that would took place in like the cabin in the snow. Oh, hateful eight. Hateful eight. I wasn't yeah. crazy about it. Yeah, that's a weird one. But he, you know, he, he jumps around a bit. That's a great idea, though. We should. I, I should. Re- I what, what would be fun is for next time we convene or one of the future times we convene is to just watch. What is that? Like nine or ten of them? Yeah. To just watch them and and because uh, I think he even put a number on it, right? Like he wants to reach a certain number, then he's done. I think so. I think and he's getting there. I would have been done a long time ago if I was him because I would have probably disappeared with all my money. And been like, yeah. But that's not what artists do. No. He's a polarizing one. He'd be fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He's a super interesting dude. He is. But um, this movie is a ma- this movie is a masterpiece. I'm not saying it's the masterpiece. I know there's Pulp Fiction and I like a lot of his movies very much. I, I'm a big fan of the Kill Bill movies as well um, and others. Um, yeah, but- he's, in the, he's in the news a lot with, what, with Uma Thurman and Kill Bill and all the shit that went down with them. Um, and Harvey Weinstein or whatever. Oh, what? Yeah, you know what though? That really affects Quentin Tarantino a lot because he was really yeah. Miramax was funding all those movies. No, is he is he indicted in this stuff? No, no, no. Well, Tarantino. I I I don't want to speak out of turn, but I I think the situation is that Tarantino might have known a little bit of what he was capable of, but also was confrontational with him specifically with Uma Thurman to like leave her alone. Oh, okay, yeah, because I know. But also put her in specific situations that have nothing to do with Harvey Weinstein that she's upset with him about. She got really hurt when she was making Kill Bill, which a lot of people forget. Oh wow, I don't even. But she really got fucked up. I didn't know that. Actually, um, didn't like know in that. a car accident that oh. where she didn't want to do her own stunts and they were like basically like forcing her to do oh, them. Oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on with that. That's now. interesting. But this is one of his best movies. It's Did, so good. Are there any other movies on your list? Um, I think that was it. I think that was the last one. Yep, Perfect, because we both need to talk about one final movie to to, to end this on an uplift. Okay, the Patriot. Oh yes, that uh, is on my list. Sorry, of course that's on my list. Um. Now, Dagan and I, <laughs> I'm glad you remember this. I would have forgot. I don't know how else to explain this. Dagan and I have a weird obsession with the Patriot. It's a separate issue. It's a, sorry. I consider them more. <laughs> <laughs> like we know every line of the movie for some reason. We watched it together probably like 20 times when I was in high school. I've watched this movie at least 50 times. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Like that's at least. There was a period of time where I was watching this movie every night to fall asleep. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's one of the first DVDs I owned. Actually, it's a separate issue. <laughs> um, does I still say to this day, it does me good to see you to people. Yes, which is uh, which is like a totally random line that no one else would ever say. It's from such that. a good movie. Um, the Patriot is a, a Mel Gibson movie. Um, what's his name? Oh, Heath Ledger. Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger. Right. Yes. Right, there yes. We go. He plays the oldest son. Sorry. And uh, so he, yeah, no, he, he's uh, no, I mean, you have nothing to be sorry about. I couldn't even think of his fucking name. Uh. There's I don't know if it's a good movie. Like I, I just know. I think I I don't know. Let us know what you guys think of it. I think it might be one of the best movies of all time, but I don't know. Is that, this movie that's terrible? Re- or is this one of the greatest ever? I'm not sure. I think it's it's not even aim small, miss small. It's not even because it's not even because I love American history and I love the revolution. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So that was obviously what drew me into the movie. Yeah, but I really like am enamored with that movie. And, and the last, if we raise a levy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's so funny man to think about that movie through that through the, the, 
like our connection to that film. Yeah. We have obviously have a connection to a lot of media and a lot of toys and a lot of games and Star Wars and all these kinds of things. But but I don't know that I can think of a movie that we have a deeper connection over than that. Yeah. Which is fucking weird. It's really weird. That's a really weird pull. I I bet a lot of people out there haven't even seen it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's actually a pretty fun movie. Yeah, it's fun. It's like a, it's, it's, it's very loose and it's not exceptionally violent. And it, and it, from a historical perspective, it shows some interesting stuff about the way the Americans fought. What we brought up before, asymmetric warfare. We fought yeah. like we fought like the Indians were fighting. Um, we didn't believe in r- raising columns and fighting face to face. Like that's not why we won. We had to do that sometimes. And at the yeah. end, they do that at Yorktown. And I think Mel Gibson like stabs a dude with the American flag or something like that. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> that doesn't happen in the movie. Wink, wink. Like it's so it's so wild, you know. And uh, but there's a lot of funny quotables in it, and it's cute. It shows like a lot of the a lot of little things from that era that people might not know. Like there's a lot of uh, like the way uh, you court a woman, what do they call the bundling bag, and like and I forgot about that. And then cool. and them kind of like teasing each other and and playing pranks, like when he drinks ink in his tea and yeah, it stains his teeth. Like there's that that kind of stuff that happened, and that's kind of the way they got their fucking chuckles. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the internet <laughs> they got shit. they got their chuckles by putting ink in your tea and staining your teeth black <laughs> and which might have lasted for the rest of your life right. and that was really funny to everybody and you really get the babes <laughs> that's unbelievable that's great that's that's a yeah that's a really good poll the patriot it's it's just a fun movie who did, did he, mel gibson didn't direct it did yeah he? i i don't i have no but idea. but he's in it and he does his mel gibson like he does two mel gibson things he he's such a i love his acting but he does the seething anger thing, and he does that weird. I think this might be the first movie he starts doing this, and he does that weird like he's really emotional and his eyes are glazing up, but he's doing the weird eye dart. He does the weird eye dart, <laughs> like just watch, watch it, and you know what I'm talking about. It's brilliant. He's awesome. He's. Uh, I still think Mel Gibson's most understated role is in Signs. The bo- oh, al- although um, so good, we should do a, a M Night. Yeah, uh, that'll one, be cool. Too, especially because yeah, he has a redemption arc, like yeah, unbelievable that, redemption that's arc. A, that's an arc. Uh, because after I saw the uh, the happening, whatever the fuck it was called, uh, I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I can't uh, <laughs> hang around with you anymore. And I really loved the village too, but uh, which we yeah, saw together, did. and yes. which and which Helene before we walked into the movie theater, or no, like when it started, yeah. I think was like she said what happened. And yeah. I'm like, how do you know that? She does that a lot. <laughs> the only two people in my life that have ever done that, Helene, my wife Helene, will call the shots in a movie. And she's not a super like cinephile. She's not a huge film buff. She likes movies. And the other, the other person who did that, that I, so I've always had someone because Grandpa did the exact same thing on TV shows and movies. I'd be sitting next to him. The the let's say the, an episode of Love Boat would start. Five minutes in, he'd be like, "This is going to happen. This, this, this." And he was always right. And it wasn't a repeat. You know what I mean? He did it on Golden Girls, made for TV movies, real movies. It didn't matter. And Helene, yeah, my wife does the exact same thing. It's so funny, man. I don't have that insight. Uh, my favorite memory at TV watching memory of grandpa's is just his rain manish way of playing. Like he laid down with, his, with no shoes on, on the couch and just play wheel of fortune. Oh, that's uh, while, while it was on. And just with this fucking frightening, it, uh, like accuracy. Yeah. That was, I was like, what the, he God? was good. See, I was always bad at that game. I was like, why do you know that? There's like literally nothing on the board yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. it's like five letters, space, seven letters, space, three letters, this? and he's like, and there's like an E in there somewhere. And he's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like what? 
The fuck? I don't know. The apple fell far from the tree. I'll say. We could do. We could do a whole thing on that. And he watched Bob Ross like a like a. He wasn't into sports, but he watched Bob Ross like a, like he was watching a sports game. Yeah, he was an artist. So like he would a... yell at Bob Ross out loud. Dude, like, you're ruining it, dude. I I you know it's so funny you say that because that's the famous thing with Bob Ross where because Twitch did a really intelligent, really smart thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, like a couple of years ago where they were just playing Bob Ross constantly on this one channel. Oh no! And it introduced like a younger, you know, hipper millennial c- crowd, I guess to to his. To his work or whatever, yeah. but I remember I was watching some of it, and it really is that feeling where he, I'm like, it's oh, it's coming along great, yeah, it's, it's looking good, and it's looking, and then he takes like his like you know one of his tools and he just puts this like white slash yeah. in there, and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then if you just wait five minutes, like it never doesn't work out, right? It always works out, but you think there's a, there's that moment in there where you're like he he just destroyed the entire painting, right? Yeah, yeah, that guy's the best. Yeah, it's. It, it, He's, uh, I heard, I, I would love, I, I know that um, he painted so prolifically that his paintings are essentially worthless. Um, oh, that's interesting. But uh, just by volume, it's not like he's Monet where he has like, you know, right. 20 no, things. of course, yeah. But I would pay money for a Bob Ross painting. That's a good point. I never thought of owning a Bob Ross painting, but that would be amazing to own a Bob Ross I mean, dude, painting. there's got to be hundreds of them, not thousands. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I can't huh. imagine there's, I can't imagine there are more than a, a few thousand dollars that's each That's interesting. Most. I never even thought of that. That's a good. That's if a there good were one. ten Bob Ross paintings, then that would be a different story, you know. <laughs> that's but amazing. and I'm not so sure. Like I've always wondered. You can kind of give me some insight into this. This is totally tangential. And we don't have to yeah. talk about it now. But yeah, that's all right. Is he any good? Like, is he considered good? Yeah, he was good at what he did. He he paint. He had a style of painting that was a, you know he painted. He was a landscape painter, and he had a technique. You know, he had sort of that you know wet and dry technique and the palette knife and everything. No, he was. I, I consider that good. I don't want to be judgmental. You know, it's not my. I like expressionistic art. I like impressionistic art. That's really my, my two things. Not that I paint that way, but that's what I enjoy. But he, his art, yeah, I, I, yeah, he was a good artist. Yeah, I don't want to, that's, that's just snobbish to say Bob Russell wasn't a good painter. You can't, you know, it's like not you, but the, you know, right, right. the royal you, you can't do it. So be quiet. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I wish I could, paint, I wish I could paint half as good as that. He was such a gentle soul. If you, oh, he was all amazing, dude. And he was oh. in the Air Force, which is my favorite part of that. He was a drill sergeant, if I'm not mistaken. That's it's like, that's insane. It's awesome. And uh, if you try to denigrate Bob Ross on this show, you just shush. Shush. <laughs> Bob Ross would tell you to shush. <laughs> but he would do it in a happy tone. And Sam Elliott would definitely tell you to shush. Oh, definitely, of course. Shush. Dulcet tones. Um, <laughs> all right, that was our episode on war movies. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you would like, you don't have to, but it gives you early access to the shows that we do, Fireside Chats, the conversational podcast series, as well as this podcast series, Knockback. You can also support the YouTube series, SideQuest. Depending on the tier that you support, uh, Collins Last Stand on Patreon, you get different access to different perks. So voting rights for topics, early access, like I said, Q&A videos, producer credits, etc. Uh, so we hope you'll join us over there if you like what we're doing. Uh, we are independent and we need your help, so please consider it. You can follow us on social media. Um, I'm on Twitter at No Taxation, and I am on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan 1973 D A G A N. And what? You're laughing at the date? I was born in '79. I don't know why I put '73 on. And uh, you're you're like schizophrenic with well, the. Well, I want to be honest. Yeah. For, well, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, Instagram, uh, where Dagan posts a lot of his art, but you'll never learn anything about his life at yeah. Dagan Likes to Draw. Any final thoughts? War as hell. <laughs> you saw me forming the W. I was going to go with Wolverines. Wolverines. Avenge me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand.
The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alois, Kyle Barnes, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, David Buford, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Louise Cancato, Matthew Canoy, Cesar Cardoso, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Jay Chandarlis, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Will Curry, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkach, Luke Drake, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, James Fitzpatrick, Mike Francis, Connor Gazian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, David Gurley, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Joshua Hunt, Steve Innerfield, Stephen Insler, Josh Jaeger, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Jackson Lestica, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Juan Lesh, Patrick Leslie, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Devin McMasters, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Mad Mock Media, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mokhtar, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nixch, Andrew O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarson peterson Jason Pettit, Eric R. Pryor, John Quinn, Daxish Rana, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Atenogenes Rojas, Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, James Schmetz, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Ray Ann Scheinebarger, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Alex Simmons, Riley Smith, Jordan Smith, Jared Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Ahmed Tamar, Tam Tran, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Michael Wells, Payne White, Tyler Woodall, Benjamin Worrell, Corey Wyatt, James Zimmerman, Tony Zuniga, Kristen Zwick, Beric, Mubarak, A.G. Rowe, Tynamite, Chris, and Donk 2015.